episode of the Trauma-Informed Podcast with your host, Jeff Friedman. We have a lovely guest today. We have Pepper Greggs, and Pepper has an amazing story. She's a trauma survivor, specifically a um, survivor of human trafficking, and she just recently wrote a book on trauma recovery. Listen in to hear this juicy story. Yes. So my name is Pepper Joy Greggs, and I'm calling from Albuquerque, New Mexico today. I'm a certified certified trauma recovery coach, advanced, working on my supervision, just authored a book, and I'm teaching classes and want to share the information and make it accessible for anyone and everyone ready to take their healing journey deeper. Okay, great. Well, thanks for sharing that. So, where so you're in Albuquerque now, but where where do you grow up, and how how did uh, how did the place that you grew up in and the people you grew up with influence where you are now? Yes. So, I'll pop in a trigger warning here because it's not a not the prettiest childhood, but grew up in Oklahoma. My family grew up in a small town, conservative, Christian, homeschooled. And it was for the most part, a decent childhood, but there was trauma throughout that was not talked about, not addressed, completely ignored. And so it even took me a while in my grown up adult life to even acknowledge, to even name things, to even really understand like how wrong some things were. So the, one of the benefits of growing up there was that I did grow up with animals. So I'm deeply connected with nature and that's been kind of what fed my soul throughout childhood and adolescence. And then as an adult, I am, I survived a situation where I was being trafficked. So I'm, I call myself a rape incest and human trafficking survivor. And it was, it wasn't until my mother passed away that I started to really do the deep healing work because, you know, with her death, I couldn't even mourn because of the level of anger and trauma and complexities of all of that going on with grief. So it took a, it took a lot of work through therapy, through trauma recovery, coaching, through even learning and gaining vernacular uh, about what trauma even is. And then a year ago I had, I had a, we call it a tower moment or a dark night of the soul where my life kind of imploded. And of course, out of that, I just decided like, there's got to be more, there's got to be, it's got to be better than this. So, so that's how I came to this place where I ended up writing my book and came up with this theory. And the thing that I loved about trauma recovery is the fact that it's, it's mind, body, soul work. So it's not, I'm, I'm not just talking about it and reliving those moments. I'm also experiencing what it's like to be in control and what it's like to be in the healing space and in the recovery space. What's some of the things, the trauma that you mentioned with your childhood? Yeah, so I have a narcissistic parental figure. And then I have a half sibling that instrumentally raped me between the ages of three and five. And what do you mean you by know, instrumentally? Different. Utensils. Oh, I, 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 yeah. I, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. So there, like, there are certain kitchen utensils and certain action figures I can't even be in the same room with still to this day. And it was, you know, there's so there's there's the sexual abuse, there's the emotional abuse of of living with somebody who's completely not attached or even present unless it's serving them in some way. 
And then of course that leaves the other parental figure as the enabler. And then there's, I would say definitely an element of religious abuse going on. So, so there was, it was complex, uh, left me with PTSD, depression, anxiety, all of that. And I felt like even in childhood, you know, you don't talk about it. You don't want to shame the family. You don't want to, that was the, that was the understood theme of if you talk about these things. So, and at the same time, there was this sense of the grownups don't know, like what's really going on with me. I'm broken. I'm sensitive. I'm, I'm don't even fit into this family unit. Yeah. And there was, there was physical abuse that, subsided through the years but when I was much younger like there were times I watched animals get severely beaten and even my own siblings and I each had an episode at least where we were physically harmed and so there's a by animal by say that again you're saying animals harmed you no the animals didn't harm us but we watched them be harmed by by this narcissistic parental figure oh okay yeah. All right. And and how did, I mean, well, I guess going back to the, when you mentioned about the, uh, the trafficking, how did that, uh, how did that happen? If you mind talking about that? Yeah. So, you know, growing up in a conservative Christian homeschooling family, we were completely failed in the ways of the world. We were just pretty much taught to fear monger the world outside of our home. And so my, my first chance to go and experience freedom I'm 19, 20 years old, modeling, working as a nurse aide. Going where, in, where in Oklahoma were you? So this this time I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. And there is a distant relative who is a male in his 50s and he's single. And he is, he's got a spare bedroom and he's like, hey, if you're traveling all over the state doing the work that you do and you need a place to crash at night and you're in the city, like... I've got the space for you. And it was months before I started picking up on things were happening to my body that I did not, I did not understand. I did not comprehend what was happening. And it started with, he introduced me to social drinking. And so I just thought, wow, I'm a light. And then at one point I discover photos of myself being propped up and video and I start finding that on different porn sites there is images and video of me out there and I'm like it was so surreal because I'm I'm a very go-getter person ambitious person and to see myself in a vulnerable and like I couldn't like I see I can see it's me but I couldn't recognize the moment really really hard to see that and to go through that. And so that was a family member. Yes. Yes. And you know, I, I don't feel like I can tell this to my parents. I don't feel like there's anywhere for me to go. I'm really struggling with how to get out of this situation. And so then I, then I go to the doctor's office for a routine checkup and she's running blood work and she calls me into her office and she goes, what's really going on. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, you have a severe drug habit. And I'm like, I don't do drugs. I, I drink at night when I get home from work, that's all I do. And it turned out that I was being roofied 
I would come home and I would be served a drink and it would be roofied. And I would have no recollection of anything beyond. I just passed out and went to bed. I thought. Wow. So that went on for months and months and months. And well, how did the, how did your doctor identify that that was your fear drug? She, she just, she was like, she was weirded out by how resistant I was to the fact that, (laughs) that I was in denial about this, this alleged drug habit. Right. And she's like, there's something going on. What are, what are you taking? What is happening? Cause this is what's showing up in your blood work. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know where that would even get in my system. I work hard at my job. I'm just exhausted. I have a lot of stuff going on. I work three jobs and I go to school full time. You know, that's a lot. That is a lot. And then to think that there's more going on. And now, now let me back up and say that by the time I go to the doctor's office, I, I have not seen these images. I have, I'm unaware of what's really going on. I just know that like, I'm exhausted all the time. And that my body seems to be behaving in ways that make me nervous to even ask anybody for help or, or understanding of what's going on with it. So Do you know what the, the drug was that's using, you know, it's, it's been over a decade now. So I don't remember the exact name. Well, I mean, I, my understanding is one of the, what was the, I mean, they could use different drugs, but not GHB. Is that, is that one of them? Is that? That sounds familiar. And I'm curious too, because I knew they had, like, I knew this person had prescription medications for, for different reasons. And I just kind of minded my business about it, you know? And so I'm curious if there was like a cocktail of medications used because there was more than one drug found in my system. So it seemed like they were like rotating perhaps, you know, and I don't, I still to this day don't actually know which is a difficult detail to live with, you know? Well, but how, I guess, how did it evolve with you, that doctor that, that sort of, I guess, thought you were being resistant or in denial and how did that relationship evolve? Or? I didn't end up going back. I, because after that, things quickly evolved to the space of, I need to get out of here. I just, it raised a red flag for me. I was scared to talk about it. And again, you know, being, being raised in a, in a very sheltered way. I felt like whatever was going on, it was, I was, I was the shame in this space. Like I was the reason everything was happening. So this is something I did wrong. I should carry this, keep it a secret, but also I don't know what's going on. I don't completely understand that. I just know something's happening. So I'm, I go home and, and I'm not like, she's like, I'm not going to give you any medications because I had gone in because it was a routine thing. But then I told her, I'm like, I'm, I think I could help. I could use help, like having more energy during the day. I, you know, I'm exhausted. And she's like, I'm not giving you any medications for that. You're clearly on enough of whatever you're going, whatever you're doing. So I quit drinking. And this of course starts to get a little irritating to the person I'm staying with. And suddenly they require that I sell my car and buy one with them as a co-signer. So now they've taken control over my ability to leave the situation. Then there's the, you know, they put me on their cell phone plan. 
And, you know, it's all presented to me in such a way that like, oh, I'm helping you out. You really need a better car. You really need more reliable transportation, more reliable communication. So they're doing me a favor. And it's how old were you at the time? 22, 21, 22, somewhere in there. And so get to the place of I do at this point, after all these things have gone down, I've, I've discovered the images. I've discovered at least one round of images, hard copies. And I'm like, you know, this is, I can't even, I can't even fathom. I just can't even fathom what's, is this really happening? And there was a moment where the reality of it starts hitting me and I, and I do approach them and I'm like, why? And I, I think it's only a one-off though at this point still. And I'm like, why did you do that? And of course, the, the the narrative was you wanted this. And I'm I'm in shock and I'm in like, do who even am I? Like, what type of being am I turning into at night? It's like a am I really like a Jekyll and Hyde? Am I losing my mind? I'm going crazy, you know. And you know, it it was just a very, very I, I can't even put it into words just how weird and how disassociated I was and not understanding, not having any vernacular, not even being able to call it what it was, you know. Wow. All right. So let's see here. Yeah, that's so what where I guess where how did that evolve? Where did it where did it go from there? So I am, I'm talking with somebody that at the time was, they worked in ministry and I dearly admired them and I was kind of counseling with them, but they don't know anything's going on. They just know that I'm increasingly expressing that I don't feel safe where I live and I want to move and I want to do something else with my life. And so then we develop a relationship and there's, there's an emotional affair happening. And I'm like, you know, this just confirms all the more that I must be a terrible person, (laughs) you know, and that I'm the reason all these things are happening to me. And I, and I, again, still figuring out what is even fully happening. And I decide I've got to get out of the situation, but I've got to be strategic about how I go, because I don't know how volatile this other person will be now that I have an understanding that they can do things I don't even know about. And so I'm, I'm out one night working, modeling for a gaming company at a casino. And I invite this other person to come meet me there. And I'm like, let's, let's just spend the night together. Let's go, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be working down there. It'll give you a chance to see what I do for a living. So they, they met me down there, but it turns out that this relative followed me. And starts blowing up my phone about their someone they know and love is dying and I need to get home immediately. Just anything they can do. And, and I already am aware that this is completely baloney. This is not what's really happening. And so I literally made the choice to ignore their calls and was like, either my stuff will be out on the curb tomorrow And I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to panic about it tonight. Or they will try to manipulate the situation and make me feel like I'm a victim of something else completely. And the latter is what happened. They immediately start telling people in the small town that 
me and this love interest are from that there's an affair going on between us and that we we've been spending my company's money. And so now they're trying to make it look like I'm embezzling things. And, and, you know, then it was my, my parents get a phone call. They call me and they're like, you know, that this can, you know, how this looks, you know, how this is like, again, I'm shaming the family. I'm an, I'm embarrassing them. I'm making choices that could get us both legally in trouble. Just this whole mental warfare, truly. And they, this housemate drove me to my mother's house and tried to get me to talk to her. And I talked to her alone and I was like, look, there's so much more going on that I can't tell you, mom. But I can tell you that me and James, the person that I had met the night before, I was like, we love each other, like actually we've, we've known each other. We've been good friends. We've worked together. And this is a very recent thing that's gone on, you know, whatever the relationship is between him and whoever else is not something that I'm a part of or care about. And I won't give details of, but as far as how I truly feel, this is the one thing I do know. And there's a lot of my life. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm wrecked about, And, you know, I'm sorry that I'm disappointing you right now, but I've got to find my way. And, you know, this is the only thing I know for sure. And so she thanked me for being honest, even though she did not like my truth. (laughs) And we drove, drove back home. And I, and basically I was given the ultimatum that I can either break it off with James or I can move out. And so I said, okay, well, let me call him and say goodbye. And I I called him and I said, I need somewhere to go. And he goes, my door is open. And I said, I need somewhere to go right now. And he said, stay on the phone with me till you get here. And he, again, he's not aware of any details of what's really going on. And as I'm, I have him on mute. So nobody knows I'm on the phone with him still. And as I'm packing my things, I'm, I'm being in the background, this other person, this housemate is constant, just taunting me. Like, so you really, you really think you're going to, you really think you're going to do this. You really think that anyone's going to believe you about anything you say. You really think that this is, you know, just that very manipulative, like narcissistic, abusive, controlling. And, and I went from being scared of that person in that moment to being like, wow. It just like, it was like my mind just started recognizing what a coward they were and how much power they didn't, that I had given them, but no longer, they could no longer have. And, and I just made the bravest move of my life and left, loaded up my dog and what little bit of things I could and, and left. And I drove away. And before I got in the car, he started taunting me about you're, you're, you're ruining his life and yours. If you do this, you are completely ruining your parents. life. I recommend that you go see a therapist and that you go, you know, you, you actually get your shit together basically. And just, and then they started to approach the car, like in an angry manner. And I had no idea like what's going to, I know they own a gun and I'm a little bit concerned that this might be the next step for them because 
they're starting to recognize how much I'm not giving. I, I don't have it for them at all. And so I jumped in the car and I like peeled out and messed up the front end of the car a little bit on my way out. and was just like, that's, if that's all the injury that happens, that's an, that's still an amazing escape, you know? And that was how it ended. And I, I went to James house and the rumor mill was hot and, and people were showing up at the house and it, it was like, it was the wildest, like pitchforks and, and, you know, lights out there and just people, this is, this is not the will of God. How dare you, you know, she's a Jezebel spirit, all, you know, just all of the things just piling on. You mean to protect James? I mean, correct. Uh, correct. Because now they've recognized that I'm, I'm going there. Like there's nowhere else for me to go. So they know that that's where I'm headed. And so now they're letting him know, Oh, she's, She's a Jezebel, but just anything out of desperation to get me and him apart and to control us. And yeah, it was just a very crazy few days. And we were like, we've got to leave the state. They're not going to drop this. And they don't know the rest of the story. And I was not in a place to tell them. And I wasn't even in a place to tell James. And it was a few months later after we'd left the state before we'd I finally told him and and that only happened because he had a dream and he was like, this dream is very real to me. And I feel like there's something you're not telling me. And it has to do with this person you were living with. What is going on there? And I just broke down and was just like, for the first time. And I tell somebody and I tell him, and I'm like, this is what happened. This is what I know for sure. I don't know anything else. And, and he's just sitting there like, what did I just do? And, and not that he, you know, regretted being with me, but just like, did he even, did he even, is this healthy? You know, I've gone from a very abusive situation that I couldn't even talk about to right into this relationship, you know, and like, how do we, how do we build from there? And it's a healthy relationship, you know, so that then, you know, the process of therapy started. And yeah, and that's kind of how it evolved. So you're, well, you're still with James? I am. Yes. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. So it's been 12, 13 years now, but we've been married for 10. Wow. That is, I, I was, I, for some reason, I mean, I was thinking there was going to be another, that it was going to end with, with James, but that's, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how we got here. But what, what about, was there any, I mean, with the other, the family member, how did that sort of go away or did that go away? So through, through therapy, I finally, it was about a year later and James and I are expecting our baby. And I'm like, I don't want to bring my child into the world carrying this burden and knowing that this person is out there and at least not been, not even been investigated. And the thing that made the situation even more dangerous is that this, this family member also worked for the state as a social worker. Wow. So they knew, like, talk about well-trained and what to look for and how to manipulate and control, like, you know, and that's, even though that's not what social workers are well, trained. What about, what about, uh, you, was he reported at all to like the licensing board and that kind of thing? I did. I did report. I reported to, so I started by reporting to a detective in Tulsa. And I just, 
I, I, the town I was in that I was living in, in, in Iowa at the time, I went to the police station and I was like, I've got to, I've got to tell this story. And so they interviewed me, they sent it on to Tulsa because that's where, you know, things happen. And so detective in Tulsa called me and was like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want this guy. I want justice. And he goes, okay, who else have you reported this to? And I'm like, honestly, I've told this like three times in my life to once to my husband, once to my therapist. And now, now to complete strangers, you know? And he goes, and he starts recommending who I can, he's like, I can't advise, but I would, I would recommend looking into the state and seeing if there's a way to report there and anything else that he might be federally involved in. Does he have a life social work license? A lot of people call themselves social workers that don't have life. They're just like, they work for like the department of child protection and they must. Yeah. So his department was, he approved if people got benefits or not. Well, right. But does he, I know a lot, like I, I learned this because I'm a social worker myself, but a lot of people, they say there's the, they give that title, but they don't really have a social work license. It's a, yeah. I couldn't tell you for sure. Okay. okay. Well, the, the other, the other reason, the main practical reason that it just could, if he did, if he, I mean, he could definitely be one not have a license to just do social work kind of stuff, but if, yeah, right. this could impact yeah. his ability to work as a social worker. That's, right. Well, I did report to the state who would have known for sure if he was licensed. I know he was investigated. I don't know the results of that investigation still. Um, I actually learned of it with somebody else and not that I, I, mean, I didn't have any business dealings with, but somebody that I know that's a medical professional mm-hmm. that committed an egregious act and like to his old ex-girlfriend, but be, being that I wasn't in the context of his work, that it didn't right. seem like it. So yeah, yeah. anyway. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is they, they did tell me that they said, you know, if there's, if there's emails between you two on work email, that's kind of where we're going to be looking. But as far as like, did he use, did he use any work computer or work accounts to post these images on the internet and, and traffic me that unless those things happened in workspaces, there wasn't much they would do. Right. Beyond them. And so then from there, they, so they still like illegal in, in, independent of work. What he's doing. Correct. Cool. Right. correct. And then the, so the detective brought him in for an interview. And of course his story is, I don't know what she's talking about. She's crazy. She ran off with a married man. She's like all this bad news. Right. And so the detective goes, Excellent. I'm going to pull in the polygraph now and then we can we can just go ahead and just prove that she's a liar. And he goes, a polygraph. And he goes, yeah, yeah, we're going to do a polygraph. And he goes, whatever she said, she wanted it. Whatever she thinks she has, whatever evidence she thinks she's pulled up, she consented to it. She wanted this. So the the detective calls me and he goes, he changed his story. So that could look good for you in court, but unfortunately there's not enough evidence because by the time I got to the place where I was leaving, these hard copies of photos disappear. And I only have like two or three porn site addresses of where images are of me at this point. And he's like, we could pursue this and make it like a federal case, but we can't prove that he's the one who posted them or that he did so without your consent. Unless we can find a way to prove that, 
this is going to be a really tough case. Wow. And but but I, but I mean, there's wow. yeah, uh, there's no evidence that he that you showed consent. There's just no evidence that you correct, uh, correct. And I'm like, and he and I remember he asked me at one point. He's like, did you ever consent? And my very limited vernacular, very limited ability to even understand what's going on. I said, I said, I do remember this, that it was posed to me. I could either get on my back or get on my knees. Now, if I pick one or the other, are you telling me that is consent? And he goes, unfortunately. And I'm like, even in, even in duress, even under the, the, you know, like that should matter. And he's like, but you did an act that you consented to, even if it was, and he's like, that's one that would get argued. And he's like, that's where law becomes interpretable. And so this is where I got the, the reality that we have a legal system and not a justice system starts setting in for me at that point. And I'm like, I don't know that I want to go to a courtroom and be painted some kind of way especially if the statistics are what they are, that there's a very minimal chance anything will happen to him. And so, so they, they ended up dropping the case. And that was a, you know, it was rough because it was again, that there's no justice for me. There's no repair for me. This person, I don't know if he got to continue his work, I don't, I don't know if he got to retire early or whatever, because he was close enough to that. You know, my family had him over for a holiday dinner after the fact. So there was a distance between me and them for several years. And, you know, I'm a new mother by this point and just doing everything I can to make sure that my child is safe and loved and that I don't go crazy in the meantime with all these life changes. All right. Well, wow. That's a, that's a, that's a remarkable story. I do want to say that to anyone who's listening to this, who's heard all these details, that the fact of the matter is, is that while the systems aren't set up for us all the time, it does matter to have a record out there. If someone has harmed you, it still matters to tell your story and you are the steward of your story. And however you decide to share that is the most powerful thing you can do in your recovery journey. And, and I, I mentioned earlier, I've, I've written this book. My, my story is very minimal in this book. It's, it's not something that, you know, I'm, I generally greet people with, but I do hope that in sharing it even here today, that people recognize you can come from a really dark place and turn your life around and do really great things, which I do truly believe is what I'm doing with my life today as a trauma recovery coach, as one who teaches trauma healing, as one who's written a book and wants to make, make this accessible. You know, this isn't just a little white girl from the Midwest who wants to tell her story and and monetize it, you know, and, and not to say that's every, every survivor, but that has been something that, I wrestled with. I'm a person who I want everyone, the least of these. I want 
all walks of life, all races, all cultures, everyone to know that healing is for everyone. And it is my hope and goal that no matter your life situation, whether you're still in the throes of even discovering the trauma you're going through, or if you're further down the road and you've got a support system now, that it's in you to heal because it was in you to survive. And that is the main message that I really want to get out to people. And I do believe that, you know, it's taken years. It's been a lot of work. It's not something that you, you know, there's a, there's a pill for it or there's enough therapy sessions for it all the time. But there is at some point you get to the place of, I have a hope every day, even though I still have this thing that happened to me, it doesn't define who I am today. And I'm proud of that. And so... So that's kind of, we get to the place where rest is, it's the title of my book is rest. And that is, you know, I desire that for everyone, not just myself. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So where, where can people find your book? So it's on Amazon and it's spelled R-R-E-S-T. It's called the Restorative Response System Theory. And the theory is that if it's within your reptilian brain to respond to in survival with fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, that it is also in your brain to respond to those behaviors through rhythm, rise, resolve, and reframe. And I define those in my book and give exercises so that people can I want to honor what our trauma responses are. I don't ever want to fight against them because they're there to help us survive and live, right? But I also want to move out of survival at some point and get back in my window of capacity, as we say. And so I created rest to help people find a way to do that.